Church Podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together about twice a week and we share what we have been chewing on in God's Word. This week we've got Sean Duncan with us. Hey, yo. Hello, Sean. Hey, man. Thanks for joining me again. Of course. Love being here. Um, faithful, <laughs> just consistent, reliable. We are in Matthew still. Yep. And we're talking about this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Ooh, tell yeah. us about it. Well, uh, actually, I'm going to have you tell us about it. <gasps> okay. So, I, listener, I did not prep prep him whatsoever for this. Uh, Chris is going to do this on the spot. So uh, here's some like real-time information. Okay. Um, it is currently February, beginning of February. Mm-hmm. We, You and I started recording these, I think, in August. Probably. So like, I started talking to you about the Sermon on the Mount in August. And like we've just started releasing them recent in the recent past mm-hmm. to where I know I just listened to the release of the salt of the earth episode yep which is like we recorded that so long ago so um now uh, so just so the listener knows like you this isn't fresh in your head but now chris how about you give us (laughs) maybe like give me the background of the sermon on the mount like what is this where are we what are we hopping into right now in case i haven't listened to any of the previous podcasts on it what is the sermon on the mount okay you fill in any gaps that i missed okay so we are uh, listening to Jesus teach up on a hillside, and he's teaching to a crowd of people, but he's speaking to primarily his disciples, those who came to him. I think the first episode was something like mm-hmm. they came to me or, or came to Jesus. Um, and we've talked about all of his beatitudes mm-hmm. that were um, about his disciples, but also about who Christ was, who God was, um, what it meant to be blessed under certain circumstances. We talked about persecution, um, and then we've we transitioned to, um, I think, more ethical co- contents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, lust, adultery, uh, how we should treat our neighbor. These kinds of ideas, um, and so now we are at whatever the next one is. Yeah, is that's that a great. good summary. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think you hit an important focus that he's talking to his disciples. Um, it's not general. It's not for for all people, he's speaking specifically to his followers. And so those blessings, he's saying, as a follower, you're blessed. You're salt of the earth. You are light. And then he begins to talk about um, a misunderstanding both of him and of Torah, the the instruction that God has given to his covenant people. Because disciples are God's covenant people that Jesus invites into this covenant relationship. So he's clarifying some issues that, that have been misunderstood. There were some people who thought Jesus was... Um, you know, he just, he didn't like the old Testament laws. He wanted to get rid of them. He just wanted to be like lovey dovey. Let's have Woodstock every day type of thing. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, although music is good, <laughs> I'm not doing Woodstock. In fact, I'm actually fulfilling the law. I- I'm, I'm bringing their laws to their conclusion, like their actual goal. And that's the section that we've been in where he, you know, he says, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. Like the point of that law isn't just to get you to stop sleeping with women that you're not married to. It's supposed to get you to stop lusting. So he's mm-hmm. he's showing us the true intention and and all of these, as you said, these ethical teachings. This is what it looks like for God's people to live in God's kingdom and to be striving for this. So we're gonna do that the last section of that, and then next time we talk, um, he transitions into practices of the kingdom. What it looks like to to give to the needy and to pray to our father who hears us and to, to fast in a way that um, brings reward from God and not from those around us. And then what it looks like to trust God when it doesn't seem like there's enough in life. 
And then there's going to be some wisdom teachings at the very end. So that's kind of like where we're going. And this nice. is Jesus' longest recorded teaching. Matthew 5 wow. to Matthew 7. Yeah. What a what a treasure that is. I, I don't often stop and think about just what a gift the Word of God is and to have the words of not not only God, but also, you know, the historical Jesus yeah. that we can just open up. Yeah. Yeah. All the words in Scripture are the words of Christ inspired right. by His Spirit. But these words are the the words of Jesus that He spoke while He was incarnate on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's enjoyable to to be able to have Jesus, his teachings, and, and really have the voice of Jesus pertained in these scriptures. Yeah, we don't okay. have to wonder. Go ahead. So the last one. This is the last one of this uh, section. If we're going to end chapter five. You have heard that it was said, you shall, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Easy. 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 (laughs) So easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. All right. Next teaching, Jesus. That sounds great. Um, let's come back to the verse 48, the you must be perfect as your heavenly father. That's kind of like a summary of everything so far. So okay. we're just going to punt that downfield. But again, in this section, he's always starting with this. Either he's quoting from a law from the Old Testament or he's quoting one of the current religious teachings that is like this morph of one of the Old Testament teachings that has kind of been tweaked a little bit. So right here, he, he's saying you have heard that it was said. And then he he quotes from Leviticus nineteen eighteen: you shall love your neighbor. And then the part, and hate your enemies. Do you remember where that shows up in your Bible? Hate your enemies? Oh, geez, no. You're going to have to get me on that one. I think you're correct. <laughs> yeah, you got me, Chris, Sean. Chris, <laughs> it's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not in the Bible, but there is a teaching in Leviticus to love your neighbor. Interesting. Love okay. your neighbor. So what had happened is the, the people in Jesus' time, they had taken this law and they they said, well, who, who is my neighbor? And if you, you can't see me, but I'm touching my chin. Like I'm being very inquisitive. <laughs> um, so they say, well, who is my neighbor? You, you know, really like my neighbor is like, you know, my fellow Jew, mm-hmm. my, my fellow Israelite. Um, but the Romans, no, no, no. Oh. They still Samaritans. Yeah. Samaritans. Bleh. No. Bleh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and of course the, the Jewish history is riddled with oppression and persecution. They're, the Assyrians exiled the northern kingdom to where they never even came back. The Babylonians exiled the southern kingdom to where they returned, but only in part. And then the the Medo-Persian Empire was over them. Then the the Greek the Greco um, Empire was over them. And then the Roman Empire. So they're always under like foreign occupation. They have enemies. Mm-hmm. They definitely have enemies. It's not just like. Well, like Susanna down the road from me, she, you know, she gave me a bitter look as I was walking. If your name is Susanna, I was not thinking about you. Not an attack. It's not one of those situations. So they have this law and then they're trying to contextualize it. They're saying, okay, God commands me to love my neighbor, but I can hate my enemy. So that's an ongoing teaching. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Um, And this is like uh, love and hate. They're not just emotional words. Um, they're active words and they're words of choice. So if you say you love one thing and hate the other, you can also be saying, I choose this thing and I don't choose the other. I I love Coke. I hate Pepsi. I'll drink a Pepsi. Like I'm totally fine with it, but I always will choose and prefer Coke over Pepsi. So that's, that's the way those words can be used also throughout scripture. So that's the misunderstanding of the law that's going around and floating around. And Jesus is going to correct it. 
and say, no, 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 that's not what that law was about. Here's what it actually means. So he is recontextualizing their con- contextualization of that verse. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he just broadened out, you, you know, what neighbor was really supposed to mean, love your neighbor. It's everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which right. is making that point that everyone is your neighbor. Anyone you come into contact, any fellow human being, that's your neighbor who you're supposed to love. So Jesus is making it very clear that we're supposed to love our enemies, which are those who oppose us or don't choose us or we, who we wouldn't choose. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to love them and we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. And we have talked about persecution so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Remember those few times? I do. Yeah, yeah the Beatitudes. Uh, he says, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're aware of persecution as we've been reading this that takes place. And now, so Jesus talked about what happens to us from persecution and how we're still blessed. But now it's like, we don't just passively receive persecution. We actually, we're responsive to it, not with violence, but with intercession. Mm-hmm. So it's like pray for those people and to to bring them in our prayers before the Father and ask for the Father to to work in their life and to to intercede and to regenerate them by the power of the Spirit, um, but then also to bring justice and to bring mercy on the entire situation. So what what a radical idea like Jesus is talking about right here. This is um, weird then, weird now. Yeah, I think of this often. I kind of. Re- you know, run through like tasks when I'm dealing with conflict or someone's on my, you know, they're taking up rent, mm-hmm. taking up a space rent free in my mind. And one of those things that I consider is, okay, am I taking them before the only one who has any real authority or power in this and praying for them and asking God to move on their behalf, you know, humbly in accordance to his will and um, for their good how many people fall on a list of people that were like, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to pray for these guys. I'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, I've heard a really good quote. I can't remember who it, who said it, but um, the, we should only put people down on our prayer list. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, That's it's, it's, it is, it's surprisingly hard to hate people who you consistently pray for. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is saying, love your enemies and pray for them. Um, Prayer is an act of love, and yet at the same time, it produces love in us. Like so, as we pray, we're we're acting in love for someone. But then, as we're praying, the Spirit is working in us to cultivate love mm-hmm. for that person, and it actually will produce eventually, um, over time, often an emotive love for that person, like where we have the emotion of compassion and care for them, and not just a bitterness, but I'm still going to do the right thing type of situation. Yeah. So. Um, this is important to Jesus so much so that he, he gives, um, oh, what's it called when he does something like that? I, I can't remember the, the, <laughs> the name, but he, um, man, what is it called? Anyways, I guess we'll just talk about it. Yeah. So not only does he explain it, but then, oh, a qualifier. Oh, okay. He gives a qualifying statement. Mm-hmm. So he says, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that qualification, like here's mm-hmm. why you should do this. Not just because it's what's right. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Uh oh. Whoa. Some implications there. <laughs> there are implications. And so let's slow down. Well, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that when when you love 
your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, then you become God's children. Right. That's not what he's saying. Uh, what it is meant here so that you may be, not become, may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Um, this is what it means to act as God's children. Um, great story. It's totally made up. It's just like a fun illustration mm-hmm. uh, of a little boy and he's in he's in a shop and he's walking down the aisles and he sees some candy and he starts stealing some candy. He starts, you know, filling his pockets. Sneaky little bugger. Kid, it yeah. was me. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a friend who did this. <laughs> he's, filling, he's filling his pockets uh, and his his caretaker that was with him that day who had taken him out of the store comes, starts coming out of the aisle and sees him taking the candy and he stops him. He says, don't you know who you are? You are the prince of England mm. and you are going to be the king one day and kings do not steal. So it's a reminder of your identity and that implies how you should act. You should act well because of who you are. That's what Jesus is saying here. Say, you are sons. Mm-hmm. Act like it. Yeah. You are daughters. Act like it. So you actually show the family, um, you show your family legacy in your action and when you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you're showing the family legacy of this family that you've been adopted into through the blood of Christ. Um, so then he explains the family legacy. He's like, this isn't like foreign stuff to God. Um, he, here's how, what he keeps saying. For he, for, for God the Father, he makes his son, uh, S-U-N, his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The theological term for this is common grace. Mm-hmm. So there's saving grace, which is effective to save us, to regenerate us, to call us out of darkness into light. Common grace is experienced by all people. It doesn't save us, but it is undeserved favor. So the fact that the sun rises every day on both believers and unbelievers, God's good, loving grace, yeah. common grace on the world. The fact that the rain falls on the earth and replenishes the the earth and the vegetation with the nutrients that it needs to continue to spring up life to then sustain both believer saved by Christ and unbeliever who is dead in sin. Common grace. Yeah. Act of love. Yeah. So, he, so Jesus here, he's like, this is your family legacy. This is what God the father does and you're his children. So, so do this so that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. This is his legacy. This is now your legacy. And even if we take a step back and consider, you know, a comparison, um, even the most egregious persecution that mm-hmm. Christians have experienced, uh, if we tally up every single way, we would never find a number high enough for how humanity has really warred against God. And mm-hmm. yet he says, I'm going to, I'm still going to take care of your needs. I'm still going to sustain your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that even more so when you think, okay, who's my, who's my heavenly father? What has he experienced? How has he dealt with this? Okay. I think I can, you know, I think I can deal with Susanna's bitter looks. <laughs> poor, poor Susanna. We are, we are grilling. Beating her. Her <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this, this text even begins to give us a, us in part, a small definition of love. Um, we say love a lot. We say I'm supposed to love my neighbors, but what does love mean? Like, does it mean I'm supposed to agree with everything they say or does that mean i'm supposed to be really friendly to people well this starts to build a little definition um we can tell that love is is active because he jesus says to pray for those who persecute you so there's there's some sort of action in love um and then he gives the 
the example of God the Father, just how God the Father loves his enemies. And mm-hmm. he he provides common good for the world to flourish. Yeah. So an act of love for your literal neighbors here living in Eugene, your a literal act of love is is providing common good for the flourishing of society. Mm-hmm. So that that begs all sorts of questions that are ethical and that like I'm sure people are wanting to have, you know, what about school systems right now? And and should we support certain ideologies or others, or should we just have our own convictions but then not talk about it publicly? Well, what is actually the for the best good for uh, a civilization to flourish? And God's common good, you know, the sun is really good and rain is really good in an agri- agricultural society. So like that's why that's one of those these references, like right. these, these common things that happen for the good that make society flourish. If it wasn't for the sun and it wasn't for the rain, we'd have no crops, meaning we'd have no economy. We'd have no food. We would die and it would be bad. Yeah. So God provides the the common goods necessary for society to flourish. And then, so that in a small way is partly what it means for us to love in a common grace type of ways to, to enable society to flourish. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says just a few more things. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So in other words, you're nice to the people who are nice to you. But anyone else, like you don't want to make new friends or talk to people or be like, hey, Susanna. (laughs) (laughs) Got her. (laughs) And another one, he says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not even the Gentiles do the same or non-believers, the non-covenant people. So it's like you can have your own personal social ecosystem where you care for your own, you protect your own, but everyone else is left out in the waters to fend for themselves. Or you can be an outward facing community that just cares for everyone because everyone's made in the image of God. And because you are a son and a daughter of the father who is a, who's a God of common grace and you can pick up the family legacy and you can do that as well. So, um, Everyone is really good at caring for their own. That's not what makes them uniquely unique in any ways. It's what the thing that makes Christians unique um, when we follow in Jesus's way is the way we care for not our own. Mm-hmm. And that's like a standout thing, especially in the first century. Um, there's, there's letters that, wow, we were going so long. There, there, there's, <laughs> okay. there's letters that you can find online that um, were being circulated in the first century. I think one of them is a letter by Tertullian. Mm. And and there's this let, this letter discussion happening between Romans, uh, Roman emperor, and, and someone else who are not believers at, at the time or anything like that. But they talk about Christians, and they're like, "Wow, they take such good care of our Roman citizens. We sh- we should just let them keep doing what they're doing. Who cares who they're worshiping? They take such good care of our citizens. Yeah. So like they had this identity of you know what they care for the people around them, even the ones who worship another God besides them. Mm-hmm. What a good reminder about questions that we could ask ourselves on a daily basis. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Identity is such a, a key and crucial element of this conversation. Who do I belong to a family? Am I a part of it? And what does that mean? What are the implications mm-hmm. of that? And then starting to work through your behavior and your attitudes and your affections and go, is this like my father? Mm-hmm. If it's not, how can I make these adjustments? Um, so what, what a good reminder to ask yourself those questions on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, the college students, this just as last week we were doing flyer squad on campus. So we just stand 
um, at an intersection on the U of O campus. We hand out flyers about our college ministry. And, and one of the students who was doing it afterwards, they were like, wow, it's crazy how much I, it hurts when people don't take a flyer from me. I'm going to start taking flyers from people when they're handing them out. It was like, it just like changed. It like shifted their perspective of like, I actually want to be the person who takes the flyer from others because I hope that people take the flyer from me. Yeah. And it, it was like making them face out and, and become caring for the well-being of others rather than just being inward, inwardly focused. And like, I think that's a great example of this passage in a really small scale. Yeah. One thing that I've sh- talked uh, to people about and it's come up is that everyone should, <laughs> I'm going to make an absolute claim here, Sean. I love it. Everyone should work customer service <laughs> at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. But there is a, an anecdotal truth to that, similar to what you're saying, is when you're in that position, you become sympathetic mm-hmm. towards the struggles that they experience and you treat people better mm-hmm. on the other side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the point we're making? Uh, when you lack those experiences, like you don't actually work in in customer service, you have the tendency to not put yourself in the shoes of someone else. Mm-hmm. And you have the tendency just to care about those in your circle. Um, so those are really practical ways to get yourself out of just your circle. But we should be able to do that without taking right. the job yeah. type of thing and just caring for the, the world around us. So all this now drives to verse 48, the conclusion of this section. Mm-hmm. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> really, uh, <laughs> you really turned up the heat on me there. <laughs> all right, so one, like, why is he saying that at this point? Well, context is important. This is all one sermon on the mm-hmm. mount, not little sermons on mountains. So he started this section um, way back long ago when we were talking about it, about talking about how he's fulfilling the law and the prophets. And he said in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes were the ones who who copied the the Bible and passed it on to others, so they were really knowledgeable about Bible. Pharisees were the ones who kept the 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 Bible, like they kept the law. They were the righteous dudes in this mm-hmm. world. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oof, you won't do it. It's like, man, how am I going to exceed their righteousness? Well, he's been giving you examples of what it would look like to exceed their righteousness. Mm. Not be angry with people. Seek reconciliation. Not uh, think lustful thoughts about a woman or another man who's walking by. Um, Not making someone commit adultery. Not swearing and then breaking your word. Not retaliating and getting vengeance on people, but instead returning good for evil. And then finally, loving your enemies. You got to do all that stuff for your righteousness to exceed it. And what we all immediately recognize, I don't. No. I'm so bad at that. I'm a little little short on. And not only do we realize that we're not that, but we need that. We want to enter the kingdom of heaven. So all of a sudden we become dependent. We become hungry. I want righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees because I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I realize that that bar is perfection and that I am not perfect. So how am I going to enter? Well, there was some words at the beginning of the Sermon on where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, mm. for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the moment you realize that you're not perfect, that you hunger for the perfection that Jesus supplies. 
Mm-hmm. So there's there's two ways that you can try and get into the kingdom of heaven. You can try to, to do it on your own terms. I'm going to be perfect. And if you try to enter the kingdom of heaven on your own righteousness, you will always fail. Mm-hmm. Or you can rely on the righteousness of Jesus. You can trust him. You can come to him as a disciple and sit down and let him be the one who works and who says it is finished. And he supplies you with righteousness and, and you become the righteousness of God, and he becomes your sin on the cross, and then you enter in to the kingdom of heaven. And what happens then is, is God, by the power of his spirit, he actually begins to make you perfect. You are perfect in status mm-hmm. um, with God, but then he actually is transforming you into this perfect image of, of Jesus the Son as well. And you actually become these things. You as, you, as you grow as a Christian, you'll become more loving of your enemies, You'll begin to pray more for those who persecute you, not because you're trying to enter into the kingdom, but because you've already been brought in. And now the king is at work in your life. So good. Yep. Man, what a beautiful conclusion to this section of his sermon. Yeah. And now we're going to turn to a different section next time we get together. And just for a little teaser, his words are beware. Ooh, the tension. Beware. It's thick. Yep. <laughs> he wants to warn us about something, and we'll talk about that next time. Sean, thank you so much for coming. I always love these conversations, and anytime we can start piecing together Jesus' words for our life and what that means, it's time well spent. It was fun, man. All right, we'll get you next time. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week, so please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.